uh, that sermon series. And so starting today, we will join in with the other campuses in the Gospel of John. The other campuses began back in September with John chapter 1, with the intent being to cover all of the Gospel of John and wrap it up the week after Easter with John 21. And so then, uh, everything is indeed right on schedule with that, uh, going through, teaching through, preaching through the Gospel of John. So today, we are joining in with the other campuses, and we're coming in at John 16. So we'll be today in John chapter 16. Uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 16. And as you're on your way there, I need to acknowledge someone who walked in late and thought they were going to get away with not being called out. But I have to call her out because she is so precious to me. Uh, Renee Tucker, all the way from Fort Worth. Uh, One of the dearest sisters. I won't even call her a friend. Uh, And I think I can even call her daughter, even though we're probably close to the same age. She was one of our initial uh, charter members of the church we planted in Fort Worth Unity Baptist Church. And she has told me all along, you always going to be my pastor, no matter where I go. And so I told her, I got gas money. I've got gas. I can get you here every Sunday. You want to make the drive. So today she surprised me. I had no idea she was coming. And let me just say to you that this is one of God's greatest songbirds that he's ever created. And so if time allows, at the end of our message today, I'm going to ask her to come bless us with a song. So that means I'm going to have to hurry because <laughs> we're already a little bit behind schedule. So I, don't blame me. Uh, but I want, to, I want her to come and bless us. Uh, so Gospel of John, John chapter 16. Uh, and I want us to focus just for now on one verse. John 16, the very last verse in John 16, verse 33. We'll start with this one verse. It does not mean that we're not going to talk about more, but we're going to start with this one. John chapter 16, verse 33. And if you would indulge me, not just indulge me, but if you would, as we honor God, would you stand with me so that we can honor and show reverence, deference to the word of God? The word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light to our pathway. David says, thy word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God deserves our reverence. John chapter 16, verse 33, it reads like this. I love this screen that they, man, this is awesome. This is a cheat. I got a cheat sheet now. I can can cheat now. (laughs) I have said, y'all think I've memorized it, right? But I I got a cheat cheat sheet. (laughs) I have memorized it, by the way. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, or but take heart. I have overcome the world. You may be seated in his presence. Uh, I'd like to borrow three words from this verse to use as our title or our subject today. I'm going to 
steal them or borrow them from this verse. And those three words are, but take heart. But, I know Dave, I know you, you, you almost stole my sermon this morning in Sunday school. Yeah, you, 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 I think you were, you saw my notes. But take heart. Uh, since we're joining in the series late, Uh, as it relates to the other campuses, please allow me to briefly play catch-up for just a few moments and give a bit of an overview of the Gospel of John. First of all, let's talk about who writes this this gospel, right? Who's the author? Uh, The author of this gospel is strongly believed to be John the Apostle. John was the son of Zebedee and Salome, and the brother of James. You might recall that in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus refers to James and John as the sons of thunder. Prior to Jesus, it is believed that John was a follower of John the Baptist. But after becoming one of Jesus' 12 disciples, he is referred to many times as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Gospel Uh, This gospel is not John's only writing. In fact, John is credited, uh, John is the second, is second only to Paul in the number of books written that are included in the New Testament canon. Canon only second to Paul in the number of writings. Along with this gospel, John is also credited with writing three epistles, first, second, and third John, and also the book of Revelation. Uh, It is believed that in regard to chronology, that John's gospel was the last of the four written. It's believed that it was written sometime between A.D. 60 and A.D. 95. Somewhere in there, the other three were written before his. John's theme was to present Jesus as God in human form. This is borne out Uh, in the way he opens the prologue in chapter 1, verse 1, when he writes, in the beginning, somebody help me, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then, in chapter 1, verse 14, he says this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what, that's what John writes in, in the prologue. Uh, John focuses on, in his writing, he focuses on the nature of Jesus versus the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which focus more on the chronology and the history as it relates to Jesus. It's been said that the synoptics present theology from a historical perspective uh, and a historical point of view, while John presents history from a theological point of view. If it's true that his theme is quite evident, then it goes without saying that his purpose is unquestioned, that there is no question as to what John's purpose is in writing this letter is because he tells us. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he gives us his purpose. He says this, he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son 
of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what John says. Uh, evangelism is, the, is at the core of the Joannine theology. It is his purpose, evangelism. He wants to evangelize everybody, tell everybody about Jesus and share Jesus with everyone. Now that we've had a brief overview, let's look at our passage for today. As we pick up in chapter 16, uh, it is now the night before Jesus would be crucified. And he's offering in this night wisdom and instruction to his disciples who are gathered around with him. This final night actually begins back in chapter 13 with Jesus, you recall, washing the disciples' feet. Uh, he does this as a sign of love and as a sign of humility and as a sign of service so that they would see his example. He even, even encourages them after he does it. He says to them, I've done this so that you can see that I've done it so that you will learn to do it yourselves, so that you will humble, your, humble yourselves and serve one another, not expecting to be served, for he says, I've come not to be served but to serve. He washes their feet as a sign of humility. And from chapter 14 through chapter 17, Jesus spends his last night preparing his disciples for what was to come. Uh, so then, as he does this, in chapter 14, he says to them, at the first part of chapter 14, he says to them, he says, uh, he says now let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go. You may not recognize this version. This is the version I was raised on. Uh, if I go, I'll come again and receive you. I know it may not match the screen. It may not match your Bible. This one, I know. I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's preparing them for what will come. And then, and then Thomas says, Lord... How can we know where you're going and how can we know the way? And you know what he says next. Verse 6, he says, somebody help me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father except by me. Then, then as he continues to prepare them, chapter 15. Chapter 15, he says this. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. He's getting them ready for their mission, for their assignment, which brings us then to chapter 16. Now, I decided uh, to start from the end of chapter 16 and work backwards. I did that for a reason. The reason why I did it is because I see some things in verse 33 that intrigue me. There's some things as I read this passage and I got to the end that just stood out at, uh, in me and, uh, to me. And so I decided this is a good place to start. I know it's not the normal way to do it, but I thought, you know, there, there's something here. So let's start here and talk about what I see and work backwards. So first thing I see in this verse is desire. Desire. There, there, there's desire. 16 33a says this, the first part of 1633 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
you know what that says? It says that Jesus then, in that verse, expresses his desire for them or and, and or for us to have peace and joy. Uh, that's his desire. That's what he wants. That's what he desires for us is to have peace and joy. We see Jesus' desire for peace in many other places as well, not just here in 1633. We also see it in John 1427, when he promises it, he promises peace in that verse. He says this, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. It's not the world's peace. He, he, he promises them peace. And then in Mark chapter 8, verse 39, he brings peace out of confusion. And he commands peace where there is no peace. When he speaks to the winds and the waves as they're making their way across the sea and a storm arises, he commands peace and he brings peace out of an unpeaceful situation when they wake him up and he comes up on the top side of the ship and he looks out over the waters and he says to the storm, peace, be still. And they are in utter amazement, Dave, when they realize who this man is because they respond by saying, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. He got to be some, somebody special. He, he has to be a different kind. He must be the Messiah. The winds and the waves, he can bring peace out of confusion. He can, watch this, not just bring it out, he can and will command it in the midst of a storm. And so then here in John 16, 33, he seems to suggest that the key to securing true peace and joy is in these things. That's what he says. These things have I said to you. So he, he says, the key to securing this peace and joy rests in these things. If verse 33 stood alone, it wouldn't make, make much sense. If you just read it, just set it aside and read it by itself, it wouldn't make much sense because you'd be asking a question. It seems to be incomplete. Something is missing. And I'm so glad it doesn't stand alone, aren't you? <laughs> I'm so glad we have some help to try to understand and interpret what Jesus is talking about so that we are not left wondering what it is. The question you should be asking, can I help you? Let me, t let me suggest to you a question that you should be asked. The question you should be asking is, what are these things, right, that Jesus mentions in 33? What are they? What are these things that he says we need in order to secure peace in our lives? The statement actually that he makes in 33 refers to the things Christ said in chapters 14 through 16. Now, I'm not going to go back that far, so you can relax, right? Uh, since our text today is in 16, we'll just focus on the end of 15 and 16. Uh, and so, what does Jesus say in these verses at the end of 15 and then in 16 uh, that will serve to secure peace and joy in the lives of his disciples and in us. First thing he says is, is found actually in this verse. Uh, you probably missed it, but watch this. He says in this verse, in 33, he says, uh, in me. In me, 
you'll have peace, right? In me. So, so here it is. The thing that Jesus, first thing before we go back to any of these other verses, let's just be reminded that real peace and joy is only found in him. That's the reason why some of y'all close your emails saying in him. I don't know if you're really in him or not. That may be just a catchy way to do it. But really, that, that, there's a purpose. It, it means, as he says in, in chapter 15, that the key to it is that we, as, as we've got to abide in him. And that's the only way to secure and to live in peace and have joy. I told you last week, joy is a lot different than happiness, right? And the only way to secure it is you've got to be in him. But then he says something else in that verse. He says not only is it in him, he says that you, in order to get this, you must depend on the helper. If you go back, you'll see where he says it. And I'm going to take you back here in just a minute so we can see it. But he says, first of all, in 33, it's in him. Then in order to secure it, you've got to learn to depend on the helper. Go to chapter 15, verse 26. Chapter 15, verse 26 says this. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceed from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then chapter 16, 13, and 14, he says this. In 16, 13, and 14, he says this. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. First thing that must be emphasized is that the helper, the helper, by the way, he's referring to some of your versions say something different, comforter, helper, comforter, whatever your version says, this helper Uh, First thing I want to point out to you is a who and not a what. He's a who and not. Sometimes we get get confused and we start referring to the helper, the comfort of the Holy Spirit as a what. But he's a who. He's not a what, right? I know it's true because in verse 13, uh, which we, we just read in verse 13, six times in that one verse, the Holy Spirit or the helper uh, is referred to as he or him. Six times in that verse, it means that he has personality. It means that he is not just a what, but he is a who. The Holy Spirit, if I can just spend a few minutes talking about him, you don't mind if I do that, do you? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's equal with the Father and the Son in essence. He's separate, though, in person. And submissive in duties. That's some of us got to learn that lesson to submit <laughs> in our duties, right? Amen. He's submissive in duties. He is described in Scripture uh, as having personality and also having the attributes as God. That's who he is. Uh, he is identified by several names. He's called Helper. He's called Holy Spirit. He's called the Holy Ghost. Uh, He's identified by a lot of different names. One of the names for a helper is comforter. Some of your versions say that. Uh, This word comes from the Greek word uh, parakletos, and it is the picture of an assistant or a helper who joins alongside with another to offer aid for them. As it relates to the Holy Spirit, uh, it refers to the one who comes alongside of the believer to provide help for life's journey. 
He is our paraclete. He is our comforter. He is the one who walks with us, the one who talks with us, the one who reminds us that we are his own, the one who is always there, the one who leads us and guides us. He is the helper, the helper. Among many other things he, that, that, that he does for us, he indwells us, he instructs us, He enables us. He convicts us. He leads us. He illuminates us. He inspires us. He restrains us. And Lord knows we need restraint sometimes. uh, 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 Paul says in Romans 8 that he prays for us. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray. But the Spirit, Paul says, intercedes for us with utterings, with with, with things that can't be uttered. We, We don't know oftentimes how to pray, and he prays for us. And so to fulfill Jesus' desire for peace and joy in our lives, we must remain, number one, in him. And then we must depend on the helper. Not only do I see desire in verse 33, I also see something else. I also see admonition in this verse. We're still in 33. We're going back there. In 33, I see, first of all, desire. Secondly, admonition or warning. The second part of verse 33 says this, in the world you will have tribulation. In the world, you will. That's a warning. That's admonition. That's saying, be ready, be prepared. Watch out, because there is danger out there. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Some of y'all too young. Y'all don't remember that. That went over some of y'all's head. Y'all like, I, I don't know no, about no Will. What is he talking about? The young people that got up and sang this morning don't remember Will Robinson. <laughs> There's danger, Jesus says, out there. What, 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 what are the dangers? What are the challenges to peace and joy as described by Christ in the rest of going back, the rest of chapter 16 in this passage? What are those challenges? I told you we were going to start in 33. We're going to look at some of this other passage, the rest of this passage. So let's look again backwards. So the first challenge that Jesus describes as we look at the end of 15 and the beginning of 16 are three words. Challenge is They, there, and them. They, there, and them. If you read, we won't do it now, but you can read it yourself while I'm talking about it. Uh, If you read it, you'll find out in those verses, 15, 20 through 16, 4, that these words, they, there, and them, are mentioned 17 times in these verses. It says that Jesus is preparing his disciples who he's teaching to be on the lookout for they, there, and them because they, there, and them will present a challenge for peace and joy as they go forward. So then, question you should be asking, I'm going to suggest another question to you. I may do this a couple of times. I know you probably are. Who are they? Who are the they that Jesus talks about? Well, uh, I have an answer. In this context, the they were often those that claimed to know God, but were in opposition to the followers of Christ. So then, sometimes it was the Jews, the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, the high priests, etc., people who claimed to walk with God, but were in, a, in opposition to the followers of Christ. They are the they that Jesus described. Not only them, but others who maybe didn't know God, who were in opposition to the followers of Christ. In broader, more contemporary sense, as it relates to the they, there, and them, uh, for us today, how, how do we apply this? What's the application for us? It is the world's system that is in opposition 
to the life of the Christian. It is the enemy of God's people. We know who the enemy is. He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy, to take away everything that we have. Not only that, it is they that the enemy uses to discourage and to frighten us. I told you a few weeks ago that fear will paralyze you. Fear will keep you to walk from walking into peace and joy. Fear will take away. It will remove peace and joy from your life. And the enemy uses that to challenge us. So it's, you have to be on the lookout for they, there, and them. Now, be careful before you leave thinking I told you to be on the lookout for somebody. Don't leave here saying there's a person that's my enemy, right? The preacher said it Sunday. I know. I'm, you're going to work Monday morning. I'm the preacher was talking about you yesterday. You, might, you, you may not say it out loud, but you're thinking, that's the reason why I can't, the, the boss won't get off my back because he was that, that's not what I said, the world system and the enemy of God's people who is Satan himself. Now, sometimes he will use others, but don't ever be misguided into thinking it is them. That, so the challenge is they, there, and them. Second challenge is this, temporary sorrow or pain. Temporary sorrow or pain. It's in, uh, 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 it's in verses 16 through 22 of John chapter 16. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to read just 22. 22 says this. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Now, I just read that, and I said in the interest of time, but I think I need to back up because I want you to see this, Right? 16, uh, 16, 16 says this. This is interesting how he does this. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me again. You will see me. Uh, so some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me because and because I am going to the father. They're, they're wondering, why is he saying this? He's making reference to the fact that he is close to the end. The end is near. In fact, it's tomorrow, right? It's gonna, you, you're gonna, you see me now, and then you're not going to see me, but be of good cheer because you're going to see me again. He refers to that day that we're going to celebrate in a few weeks, that, good, that great getting up morning, that third day that we like to talk about, that, that Sunday morning. He says, you're going to see me again. So he says, take heart. And believe and have faith and know that uh, you're going to... So, but, but, but here's the thing. He says the challenge to peace and joy is temporary sorrow and pain. So he says to them, your pain and sorrow that you're going to endure tomorrow when I leave you is only temporary. Don't allow temporary situations to steal your permanent joy. Don't allow fleeting sorrow, right? Things that are not going to last, trials and tribulations to take away your joy that is supposed to be with you forever. He gives an analogy in verse 21 of a woman who gives, child, who gives birth to a child. Look at 21. I want to read it real quick. It says this. It says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby... She no longer remembers the anguish for the joy, for joy that a human being has 
been born into the world. I remember not long ago, matter of fact, it was about 12 and a half years ago, or 12 years, 11 and a half, 12 and a half, I don't know, one of them. I know the date, August 3rd, 2006, because I'm my math. I know I'm not a math guy. <laughs> I was present, Chris, in the, in the delivery room. When my now, he looks like he's grown now, but I remember that day just like it was yesterday. My wife went into labor. We rushed to the emergency room, Edward, and they began to work on her, and I could see the anguish in her face. She was in pain, the kind of pain, Jane shaking her head like, yeah, the kind of other Jane, Jane the kind of pain that us men folk, that's the reason why they say y'all are just wimps. They say that about us. You get a cold and you can't even get up out of the bed. Yeah, you all tried having a baby. I say that to you because I can relate somewhat to what Jesus says in 21 because I was in the room when I saw the anguish and the pain on her face as Simeon was preparing to come to the world. She was in pain. She was squeezing my hand so hard that I thought I would lose use of it. And the doctors were working. They were rocking. The toe table was moving. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? But at some point along the way, behind the curtain, they raised up this little baby boy. And all of a sudden, the tears went away. All of a sudden, where there was pain and sorrow, there was a bright, beautiful, look at that smile. Look at that smile. That's, that's one of the most, that, that, that smile. And all I'm trying to say, is that things that are painful right now. Jesus says, hold on just a little while. Just hold on. So he says to his disciples, and I say to you today, don't allow temporary labor <laughs> to steal your permanent joy. Because if you hold on until the doctor gets through, there's going to be a baby that comes up out from behind the curtain, and there's going to be a smile on your face. Jesus says to the disciples, don't allow temporary sorrow to steal your joy. So there's a couple, there's one other thing I see. I see desire in 33. I see admonition in 33. And as I hurry, I see also one other thing. I see exhortation in 33. And it's going to help us to see this, and we're going to look back. And so at at the end of 33, Jesus says this, and this is where we steal our subject from. He says this. He says, but, Dave, he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That is exhortation. That is encouragement. First thing I'd like to do is take a look at this word, but, real quick, because Dave already covered it this morning. He didn't know I was going to preach about it. Right? Anytime you see, Dave talked about it in the lesson in Acts. Right? Anytime you see, the word but in Scripture, it changes the game. It, ch- it just totally changes the game. It shifts the direction of the conversation. It is a transition word. It, it makes it, it is a showstopper. It, it stops the show. Uh, the but often, not always, because in Dave's illustration this morning from Acts chapter 4 and 5, it was the discussion or the incident between Ananias and Sapphira. So as we look back, it may not fit this, but oftentimes it does. Uh, Oftentimes when there's a but, it indicates that some troubling or challenging news has just been shared before the but. But a solution is forthcoming. 
right? It shifts it. So we say, you look back, Jesus just shared some disturbing news. But there's a but there, and when the but comes, we are alerted to the fact that a solution to the disturbing news is forthcoming. Uh, you can look at Joseph's story from Genesis, right? Joseph is famous for this in his story. His brothers hated him, but the Lord. He was thrown into a pit and left for dead, but the Lord. He was sold into slavery in Potiphar's house, but the Lord. He was accused and convicted of a crime that he did not commit and thrown into prison, but the Lord. Disturbing news, transition, showstopper, game changer, but the Lord, right? And all I'm wanting to say to you today is there's always a but the Lord. If you abide in him, there'll always be a but the Lord. So what, what's the good news or solution here? Jesus says it's this, take heart. That's the reason why our subject is, but take heart. He, in other words, he says, be of good cheer, right? The phrase means be courageous. Greek word is tharseo. It means to be courageous, to cheer up. Don't be so down and out. If the news you just got, because there's always a but the Lord, right? Cheer up, be courageous. Why take heart, then you ask? I know I told you, that's, that's another question you should be asking. Why take heart? Because Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. That's the reason why you should take heart. Uh, when he says this, uh, Jesus looks back on his birth and his earthly ministry, and he looks forward to his death and triumphant resurrection, as well as his imminent return and his eternal reign. When he says, I have overcome the world, there's a but there. It says, you, you. Tribulation is out there, but I've overcome the world, right? Can I share a story with you right quick? Then I'm going to get my sister to come and sing for us. Can I share a story with you? I'm reminded of a single lady who's having an issue with her plumbing upstairs in the upstairs bathroom. She, call, she can't get anyone to help her. No, all of her friends, all the men, guys that she know that normally can help with these kinds of situations, she can't get anybody to figure out why the sink is clogged and how to unstop it. It will not drain. So finally, she breaks down and calls a plumber. And the plumber comes and he makes his way upstairs. And when he goes upstairs, she decides to follow him. And as she's walking to the bathroom, she notices that he pulls out his ball-ping hammer. And when he pulls out his hammer, he looks under the sink, and he simply taps on the pipe. Taps on the pipe, and he comes up, he gets up off his knees from the sink, goes up to the handle, turns the water on, and amazingly, the water flows through the pipe. He doesn't know she's watching. He goes downstairs, he says, hey, ma'am, I fixed the problem. And she says, well, great. He says, don't worry, I'll bill you for it. She's excited and happy, Dave, that, man, that problem was easier to fix than I thought it would be. How amazing is this? Her excitement quickly fades when the bill comes in the mail. She gets the bill, she opens the bill, and she almost falls to the floor when she looks at the invoice, and at the bottom of the invoice, it says $500. She's mad, Yvette. She gets on the phone. She calls the plumber with anger in her voice, and she says, how dare you? 
I was standing there watching you, and all you did was pull out a hammer and tap on the pipe, and how can you charge me $500 for that? He said, ma'am, I apologize. Let me give you a breakdown of the bill, if you don't mind. Would you calm down a minute so I can give you a break? She said, yeah, tell me why it's going to cost me $500 for what you You wasn't here five minutes. He said, well, let me tell you. For tapping on the pipe, $10. For knowing where to tap, $490. I say all that to say that Jesus knows and knew exactly where to tap for us to free us. Okay, y'all not with me. To free us from the bondage and all of the things that challenge our peace and our joy. With that, we're going to say the doors now are open. If there's somebody that has a desire to come and know this Jesus, that has the power and the desire to secure peace and joy, we're going to ask you to come as Renee, my dear sister, comes and blesses us with song while she's singing